I am one of your hosts, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by Chris. How's it going, Chris? Hello, I'm good. Who else we got here? Oh, well, we've also got Matt. How's it going, Matt? It's going good. And we have returning. It's been like a year <laughs> since he's been on the show. I thought he didn't <laughs> like me anymore because he never texts me anymore. Yeah, the chick, why don't you? Enigmatic. About. <laughs> enigmatic sand trigger. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Glad to be back. Yay! It's good to have you back, man. Because some stuff has happened, which we need mm-hmm. your knowledge and insight to discuss. But before we do that, we're going to start the show as we always do, and just start complaining about the weather. Because it's really Yay. cold out, guys. <laughs> it's really cold out. It's like we complain about weather, and then we do our hobby. So yeah, weather. Uh, it's like um, ten degrees Fahrenheit out there, and there's like snow on the ground. Ugh. It's Fahrenheit. What's that in degrees Celsius? Come on, let's let's. Uh, that's use negative uh, eleven. I yeah, is that negative eleven? Just about. Bloody yeah. hell! Okay, right. It's two below Fahrenheit here, so. So two hundred and sixty-two Kelvin. Mmm, nice. It's actually negative twelve. Sorry, mental okay. math was off. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and so I'm plus, probably closer to negative sixteen. Plus, for Matt, that's that's like that's like a that's like a wet cold. You know, that's that's nothing. <laughs> I got the dry cold over here. What do you mean, wet, cold? I don't know. I don't know how it is in North Dakota. We've had, we just had like four days of snow, and I've got the wind blowing on both of my outside windows. So wow. yeah, it's really freaking cold. Yeah, we've had we've had lots of wind, lots you know high wind here, but we've had no. It's only just become cold in Sheffield uh, in the last few weeks, and no snow. It's a really cold kind of. Either cold and dry or cold and wet. It's bizarre. Um, Texas is 70 degrees and sunny, but I'm not in Texas right now. I'm stuck in uh, Bozeman, Montana this weekend for work. Oh. Yeah, uh, there was a uh, snowstorm this morning, and it is currently uh, 33 degrees out there. Which oh. is for Chris one degree Celsius. That's that's Lovely. just balmy. Oh, it's thirty three <laughs> degrees. That's tropical. Come on. Yeah, for them, for them, for them, this is spring. They were telling me yesterday how warm it's been, and I'm like, yeah, we have different definitions of warm. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. So, how's everyone's gaming been, Chris? You're you're up in Sheffield and uh, <sighs> just rocking it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I haven't been playing. Uh, I haven't been doing any uh, wargaming much recently. That will change as of this week. Um, so one of my new local gaming buds. I think I'm going to show up how to play Guild Ball. I have been painting lots, so my Signar army is now fully painted at 50 points. Yay! Because we're going to be um, starting up a Journeyman League. Uh, uh, that'll be good fun. And I've been playing lots of Kingdom Death. Because you know I can just play that solo and it's fucking hardcore. It is um, it is tough. Shit happens. It is very much like playing a emergent roleplay game where you are not playing as the characters of the of the camp. You are kind of like the demigod of your camp, if that makes sense. Because mm. you you know you 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 bestow on them 
certain gifts and you know it's essentially you make their their gear and you know you equip them and you do their innovate in their settlement um yeah so i'm i'm getting very cl- I'm about over the halfway point in playing through kingdom death and uh, i've still got more stuff to paint for it so um yeah and of course i'll be starting up uh, doing a intro game for iron kingdom's roleplay so uh that's full metal fantasy rather than unleashed so um if that goes well, um, I don't know. See where that goes with stuff. Uh, otherwise, oh, and Necromunda. I'm looking at playing some Necromunda, possibly. Oh yeah, classic game, classic war game. Sweet. So, Matt, what you been up to? Uh, not much. Uh, had surgery since the last time we podcasted, so that was fun. Other than that, I've mostly just been playing video games and. Occasionally doing some role play, get some tabletop, but that doesn't come up very much anymore. Since so you I got some cold, frozen north. So you got some new implants then, Matt? You know, you. No, I had something removed. Oh, was it a fault? Was it some faulty hardware? <laughs> some very faulty hardware. It wasn't doing its job and was in fe- instead inflicting massive amounts of pain on me on a daily basis. But now you have the essence for alphaware. So, I mean, you got that going for you. Definitely. Speaking of alphaware, yeah, I've been playing some uh, running. Running some Shadowrun lately. A little fifth edition. It's been good times. Uh, The Ravenloft campaign that we're playing in uh, came to an end, and I asked people if they wanted to keep playing AD&D 2nd edition, and they resoundly said no. (laughs) Apparently, Apparently they don't like it when I kill off three characters and drain six experience levels from them. But anyway, yeah, Shadowrun's a good time. It's been a good experience thus far, and uh, we just finished up our second full mission, uh, so that's pretty cool, and uh, we'll see how it goes from here. It's kind of interesting trying to uh, take these kind of episodic, interconnected missions and adventures and try to come up with an overarching story uh, to use, so mm. it's an interesting challenge, and uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you later, next episode, how it's going. If I could give a suggestion for that, Mike, Hit let the players it. come up with the overarching story. Make make the you know make the missions just about the mission, and make the overarching story the interpersonal connections between these uh, random criminals who uh, have been drawn together. That's a good idea, which is definitely not what I was thinking of doing. Or you I'll can do whatever that. you were thinking. Whatever works for you. I'll consider it's your it. Group. I'll consider it. Uh, yeah, when I played Shadowrun years ago, that was kind of what happened. It was just like, how are these, how are the different people interplay uh, in these situations? And my character was the pacifist, who is also a huge douchebag, so that was always fun. But uh, Chig, Chig, have, have you been playing any World of Darkness games? Um, no, I have not been have playing you, any World of Darkness games. Have you been game. running any Ghostbusters? Uh, we have not been running any Ghostbusters, however, I in a Through the Breach campaign, which is a super ah. fun game. I'm not familiar with it, Chig. What is Through the Breach? Through the Breach is the role-playing game based off of the Malifaux miniatures game that I love. Ah, okay, cool. It's how's super the, fun. How's the system compared to the war game? Because the war game uses a uh, card-based, you know, playing card-based... It is uh, literally the exact same system. Okay. It's just not played with miniatures. I mean, you can totally make miniatures if you want to have, you know, mini combat, I suppose, but you don't have to. 
but it uses the same card mechanics, the same stats. It's really an interesting, fun game. One thing with playing cards, and I've seen this with uh, another RPG, which I don't hold in high regard because it's a, it was a fairly new one that I saw at Essen Spiel, and I was just like, yeah, it looks like too too much of a board game mixed together to make an RPG. Is when you've got a card-based mechanic, how do you balance out the fact that you know if a player's got a bad hand of cards? How do you stop the metagaming of the of the the hand of cards where they burn off the bad cards by doing action by doing less meaningful actions? Is there a way around that? Does Malif- does uh, through the breach kind of deal with that? It kind of does. It has a very interesting mechanic. Everybody, all the players, share a deck of cards, a deck of fifty-four cards, a 52 standard, and two jokers. Okay. But each player also gets uh, their own hand of 13 cards. Mm -hmm. So if you pull a card that is just horrible and you don't want, then you can cheat using one of your, the cards in your hand. Or, if you're on a, or if you're like me and you're a glutton for punishment and you have a really great card but you're like, nah, I'd really like to see what happens if I fuck up that uh, charm roll against the uh, whatever then you can play your, your shittier card. Hmm. Okay. Nice. I like it. I like it. Sweet. Well, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll play some, uh, or run some Vampire the Masquerade in the future. We'll see what happens. Uh, um, but, uh, we could all yep. play Changeling 20, which uh, has recently concluded a fantastically successful Kickstarter. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to run it for us, Chig? Because I'll play it if you run it. Well, then I'll have to wait for it to actually come out into my uh, Dropbox, and then I can run it. All right, sounds good. Cool. So let's. Uh, some stuff's been happening, actually, with regard to uh, the World of Darkness, so I think it's time to go over to our classic segment of White Wolf News. Uh, okay, so, yeah, I just said White Wolf News, because that's, that's a thing again. Do we, do we have White Wolf News this month? I don't, I don't think anything big. We have, I don't know about this month specifically, but since we last recorded, uh, and did, like, a full news segment, yeah, we definitely have some, some White Wolf News. Uh, because White Wolf is, is back. It's like an actual company again. Uh, so what happened was Paradox Interactive, which is a Swedish video game company, uh, purchased the White Wolf brands, uh, all of its intellectual property and assets from CCP for, if I remember correctly, about four million U.S. dollars. Which is interesting because, as I remember from seeing some CCP um, reports, uh, they were making probably like two million, one and a half million per year off of uh, White Wolf stuff back in like two thousand nine, two thousand eight. But anyway, that sort of uh, uh, money estimates aside, uh, this means that Paradox Interactive and uh, its new White Wolf subsidiary actually have uh, the classic World of Darkness, the new World of Darkness, uh, Exalted, and you know some of the other minor brands that they produced. So that's pretty cool, right? Yes. That yeah. is amazing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, this is a big deal. Um, I don't know if you guys have played any Paradox games, but I'm pretty into them. Uh, Crusader Kings 2 uh, was actually recommended to me by uh, co-host, friend of the show, Peter Marshall, and I've poured way, way, way too many hours into that game. 
and also uh, Europa Universalis Four is pretty sweet. And they're basically these epic, you know, world-spanning strategy games where you uh, take the uh, position of either like a leader of a country or of a, uh, a nation state itself and try to battle or diplomacy your way to victory uh, and some pretty cool stuff. So there's definitely a lot of synergy between, you know, say Vampire the Masquerade and these games that uh, Paradox currently makes. So yeah, White Wolf, uh, it's it's back. It's a subsidiary, so it's an actual uh, semi-independent, we'll say vassalized company to uh, Paradox. Uh, so they have this, you know, pretty nice operational budget, but they're not fully controlled by this video game company. So that's that's definitely a big deal. Uh, and White Wolf currently has two employees, Tobias Jorgren and Martin Erickson. Uh, Tobias himself uh, has a lot of video game development and production experience uh, he's certainly kind of the business development and money guy of the company but uh you can definitely tell from some of the youtube videos they put out that uh, he has a lot of passion for these different worlds and properties and uh yeah he's, he's white wolf's new ceo uh and his counterpart uh martin is very experienced with uh, like high production nordic larps uh and he was a content developer for the world of darkness mmo working for ccp and he's got some film production experience as well. Uh, he's White Wolf's lead storyteller and was also Dracula in the V20 book. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So what do, you, what do you guys like initial you know, gut instincts about these two guys? You've probably seen the, uh, the YouTube videos and uh, some of the stuff coming out of the uh, Tenebra Noctis uh, convention. That was a, a couple months ago. Yeah, I mean, God, it was a shame I couldn't actually make that event because I was invited to go to it. Um but too much going on. Um, I think clearly they have in charge two guys that have a lot of vision for White Wolf that extends well beyond just doing the MMO or doing some sort of computer game, which I think is important because while another MMO would be great, I think they recognize the strength of, of World of Darkness is kind of this lies in this transmedia kind of environment that we're still still playing about with, you know, where, you know, stuff you do with computer games, you know, has some influence or is somehow related to some sort of gaming that takes place at some LARP and then is related to some other uh, type uh, related experience, be it uh, a movie or TV show. So, um they've at least got some vision for where they want to go rather than just doing the same old crap that CCP was wanting to do. Mm. And, you know, the vision itself, uh, while it's definitely big, it's it's grandiose, it's not sprawling, and they definitely have a, a, a direction and focus that they uh, they want to take the World of Darkness property to. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's extremely important, and uh, we, we can actually kind of talk about some of the more specific ideas they have uh you know, they're, they're intense right now. Um, of course, they want to continue production of tabletop role-playing games. You know, that's how World of Darkness started, and we want to just keep working with that because that's where a lot of the cool ideas and content really comes from. Uh, so that's, that's definitely a big deal. Uh, how do you guys feel about that? How do you guys feel about them continuing with tabletop games? I'm all for it. Like you said, that's, that's what the World of Darkness is. You can do other things with the ideas, you can do other things with the, the properties, but at its heart, that's what the world of darkness is. I would yeah. say it's kind of it's very grassroots because if you keep that going, um, 
you know, tabletop roleplay games allows a, a nice environment for very quick IP development, maybe compared to computer games. Uh, yeah, I definitely concur with that because you really you have the visual of, of some of the artwork, obviously, and then just uh, getting the ideas on paper really quick alongside mechanical development. So you actually codify how this universe works. Um, now with video game development, you have uh, all of the development operations as well, which kind of slow things down because you need to start programming things, you need to uh, play test. Uh, in manners, uh, as, as we saw actually with some of the stuff that uh, say Eddie Webb was discussing with regard to uh, CCP's work, uh, a lot of the play testing they were doing was really similar to just developing tabletop mechanics. So it's almost like this additional layer of work they have to do to then bring it to uh, the computer side or video game side of things. So yeah, it's definitely good for you know quick, rapid development of uh, of game mechanics. You know, we've seen a lot of uh, World of Darkness games come out uh, recently or be redeveloped, like say uh, with with uh, Changeling Twentieth, uh, and they can do it pretty quick and uh, start to uh, come out with like cool new stuff and new ideas. One thing that I noticed that they were said they wanted to do was created one create one unified universe for all the games as opposed to them all having their own different mythologies, which I'm interested in and also kind of pensive about because Werewolf and Mage are going to have to make some big changes that they're going to coexist. Yeah, that's uh, that's always been an issue, hasn't it? And then you've got so just looking at the at the core five games, the original uh, World of Darkness. Uh, storytelling games, you know, vampire can exist pretty much anywhere because it's mostly grounded in the uh, in the real world. You do have some cosmological um, interplay, uh, but also differences with regard to mage and and werewolf. Wraith kind of works as its own thing, but it's also always been very independent uh, and hard to interact with. Uh, so that's probably not an issue. And then changeling. There, there's some there's some conceptual differences which have always been interesting, Chig. Uh, you know, for example, the whole interplay between these different World of Darkness uh, factions from other game lines and the banality uh, mechanics of Changeling. So how do you feel about that, uh, Chig? Um, Changeling's mythology, I guess, will work with any other game line. The only difference, like the only issue, rather, like you said, is the uh, banality and who is banal and who is glamorous and this and that and the other, but hopefully, knock on wood, all of that will be answered in uh, the Changeling 20th. We well, will Changeling 20, I don't think, is going to be a part of Paradox's no, new thing. No, no it's, it's not, but um, one of the things that was uh, mentioned during the campaign was that they were going to try to at least you know, make it a more definite definition of what is glamour what is banality why do why is something banal banal right like i mean that's one of my major problems i've always had with changeling is that banality just seems to be you know oh you're an adult and you're not you know being awesome and childlike and doing amazing fun art things and you know you have a job how dare you you're the downfall of all that is good in the world yeah um that was mentioned during the campaign, and uh, the uh, Matt, the Black Hat Matt, the uh, developer, said that he was going to try to make it a little less. Uh, only kids are good, and adults are bad. So we'll, we'll see. Mm. It's, it's still being written. 
So yeah, um, <clears throat> for additional interplay, I mean, if we look at some of the other uh, you know classic World of Darkness, One World of Darkness properties, uh, you've you've got Kindred of the East, which actually uh, would work decently with the others. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, honestly, it, I'd say it deleted Kindred of the East. I I think it's too mm. dated. I, it's set. It's it's too much weebu. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what way to put it. Well, no, I mean, like that's one of the things that I'm hoping that they fix is because there's a lot of that really bizarre racist native exceptionalism stuff sprinkled throughout mm. all of the game lines. Like you've got, you know, the acacia, the Acacia Brotherhood, and the Dream yeah. Speakers, and you've got like some of the vampire types. Like they basically definitively killed off the Ravnos, and good for them because they were, you know, bad. But Werewolf still has the Fianna, it still has the Wendigo and the Uctena. Their backstory still includes the Bunyip, which are just bad. Like, there's a lot of stuff that they... I hope that they change, because they're already going to be redoing the cosmology. They have, they're being given a chance to go through and remove some of that cruft from the early 90s game design, and I really hope they take that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Matt, that's a great point, because they've already... You know, Onyx Path has already started to do some of this stuff. Uh, particularly, if you take a look at the Vampire, the Dark Ages 20th anniversary book that mm-hmm. uh, came out a couple months back, uh, David Hill is the lead developer on that, and he did a great job of removing a lot of the more racially questionable uh uh, you know, clan attributes uh, from the different splats in that book. <clears throat> so the Giovanni have been fixed uh, quite a bit uh, from their from their their classic uh, representation. Uh, Ravnos as well, and it's really cool that uh, we kind of have this <clears throat> tabletop test bed that can be used to uh, kind of introduce these ideas and see how they work before maybe putting it into the uh, more core property. Well, related to that is the fact that um, I think it, it was. It's, I can't remember whether it was said at the at the um, at the con or it was said in one of the interviews uh, on one of the you know, gaming websites somewhere. But the fact that New White Wolf is you know this one world of darkness is going to be is going to be less American centric. So, like you know, when they when they choose cities where to set particular like you know example stories you know of where the game feels alive they're, they're not all going to just be US cities uh, and the majority are not going to be and given that we're now dealing with a white wolf that is set in that is uh, based in Stockholm is that right uh, I need to check I think it's Stockholm so you know, this is very this is this is a very less 90s White Wolf more so than ever, uh, and they're going to, in order to sell on the scale that they want to, they're going to have to be more diverse in how they present their properties. And if that means you know killing off a lot of this rather dated presentation of of um, splats and and characters and so forth, and, and the choice of cities, then then so be it. Because Okay, let's go back to the thing you said about Kindred of the East. I'm totally cool with all... Let's make use of the mythology that is there, because it's great. Let's just not have... You know, let's just not have... You know, 
not have it presented as just oh anime. you know anything's anime you know Demon City Tokyo or whatever the hell anime it was from the nineties. Um, it's a lot more interesting and nuanced than just that kind of crap. And so are you saying that you don't want a revision of Demon Hunter X? Oh, no. <laughs> of course not. No, no, no. Because that's everybody's favorite Kindred of the East supplement, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, like I've, I haven't really read that much of the other ones. I did read through Hengen Yokai, or Hengen Yokai, and... It's just so full of, you know, oh, we're better than the West. Like, we're better than the West. We're so amazing. Like, we have our own Umbra. We have all these own, all these new rules that are so much better than everybody else. Please ignore the gigantic racial genocide in our past. That didn't happen. Who cares about that? Because we're amazing. And then there's the Kitsune supplement, which is just more of the same. And you're just sitting there at the end, like, massaging your brain, going, stop, stop. This is just bad <laughs> so they... well done Chig <laughs> um, right okay so yeah honestly I think I think if if they go if they follow through on this idea of like diversifying and, and, and decentralizing world of darkness from a very US centric view of the world which I really hope so I mean they're now it's a European country uh, company now as well. Yeah, how could they not? It's it would be it would be madness. It's it's bad enough reading like some of the crap written about uh, in some of the older books. I mean, one of my, in all fairness, one of the you know Shadows of the UK for New World of Darkness. What was New World of Darkness? Is a great book for a very particular reason. All the writers. We're English, pretty much, or well, from the or, or Scottish if we've got Stu Wilson, of course. But they're at least from mm-hmm. from you know the British Isles and and Ireland, and so forth. So you've got that kind of feel to it. So that's why it felt like when I read it, I was not annoyed by the book, and not annoyed in the way that some people are when they read about. Oh, look, the Giovanni have have catacombs under Venice, and you're just like, <laughs> yeah, because that's gonna happen, isn't it? They, they um, all have three dots in swimming. Of course. Uh, <laughs> so I can only... I mean, these are the sort of changes that when they happen, if they happen and should happen, are the things that get me excited about classic World of Darkness again and about what is now World of Darkness. You know, one World of Darkness, if it does those things, is going to be really good and it will feel fresh and it won't be, it won't be something just the, the, the old guard fans bang on about and who feel offended by because the Giovanni have been changed because we've had all that crap as well yeah definitely and I think it's a good time to kind of bring up the uh, whole rebranding that has gone on so White Wolf uh, decided that the classic world of darkness was going to kind of become its new thing we now have the one world of darkness or OWAD as uh, people have been typing on the internet for years and this is classic world of darkness updated for the 21st century so that's what uh chris keeps alluding to uh with uh kind of having these uh you know more more reasonable uh and more global updates and attributes to the setting uh in the future and they've also really been pretty open about the fact that they don't want to shy away from from real world horrors uh and how that might interact with or create uh monsters themselves 
Uh, so that's going to be quite a, uh, a monumental task for them. But uh, I wish them luck, and uh, it will be very interesting to see. And additionally, the uh, New World of Darkness is no more. Because it's been rebranded as the Chronicles of Darkness, or Kofti. C-O-F-D. Um, and White Wolf actually brought up a pretty reasonable um, reason for doing this. And that was simply that having these two World of Darkness brands confused film producers uh, in the past. And it would be a lot easier for them to do licensing if they have these two different but you know similar uh, properties that uh, they can... They can license out uh, for video game developers, uh, film studios, etc. So I think it's pretty reasonable. It's also going to be easier for uh, <clears throat> getting new players interested in, in tabletop games. Uh, they won't be confused about like why are there like three different vampire books, mm. different core books. Uh, so that'll be good to uh, you know just just kind of streamline things overall with that business. It's I think it's a really good change because obviously I think everyone's happy with that name change because. It's all right again. Let's let's cut through the bullshit because everyone again took it as an as an excuse to proclaim, "Oh, New World of Darkness failed." It's like, yeah, if New World of Darkness had failed, we wouldn't even be where we are now to have all of these game lines uh, on drive through RPG back in production, where you're not having to spend massive amounts of money on some tattered edition of a book on eBay. You know, you can just get the book as it should have been at any time when you want it. But what's been, what was clearly said uh, by the guys at White Wolf is that Chronicles of Darkness is so you can run your World of Darkness, whereas One World of Darkness is a way for everyone to be involved in a simultaneous collaborative story. And by saying that, I think it's very respectful of what you know, Chronicles of Darkness offers and it offers a way for people who are, you know, have feel like they've exhausted what they can do story-wise currently in one world of darkness can actually then go, well, I may as well look at how I can remix my setting and, and try something that's somewhat different. And so by doing that, I think it's a really, you know, it's a, it's a mature approach to it. And it's a shame that, you know, when you really look at it, I think even Rich Thomas said this, it's a shame they just didn't call... New World of Darkness, Chronicles of Darkness from the very start. But at the same time, they weren't even considering they were going to bring back the classic World of Darkness lines. It's only mm. by bringing them, by making them available again through Drive Through RPG, looking at the sales, having the joy of Kickstarter turn up, and being able to do V20 and do all these nostalgia, you know, nostalgia projects, because that's what they are. They are nostalgia projects because we are getting a fourth edition of Vampire. You know, that allowed them to really just just well give everyone the games they want to have, not just you know do a games workshop. Um. And uh, Chris, that's a good thing to bring up. We're still going to have the uh, Onyx Path uh, license to both the uh, the I guess we'll still kind of, we'll call it One World of Darkness uh, role playing games and the um, uh, Chronicles of Darkness as well and and Exalted. But uh, the big thing that's going to be going on is while there's still going to be the 20th anniversary books being published, uh, White Wolf itself will be publishing the fourth edition of Vampire. It won't actually be, uh, at least last I heard, an Onyx Path book. Uh, they're going to be taking it in-house for production, 
um, and, and contracting out uh, numerous portions, I'm sure, to uh, make sure you know it's as close to their vision as possible, and also to release this this fourth edition in stores, you know, as traditionally printed, alongside a triple A Vampire the Masquerade game title. Yeah, that'll be awesome. I actually really hope, alongside that, they actually re-release all of the Chronicles of Darkness core books as to the same level as well, because they should all deserve to be in gaming stores. To be honest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, in that regard, it would be pretty easy, I think, to. I mean, yeah. Drive Through RPG keeps trying to get uh, through traditional distributors uh, different core books released, and they did it a couple years back, at like 2010. Uh, but they start off with a bunch of very obscure source books, and they didn't, like just start releasing POD uh, like core books immediately, which I think was a, uh, a tactical error, to say the least. But uh, Chig, what, what were you saying? before I cut you off right there? Um, I was going to say that uh, the issue there is with uh, distributors to getting anything into uh, game shops. There's really only the one distributor here in the United States. I'm, and I speak only of the United States when I, when I say this. And if you don't, and this is the reason that they had for years the uh, supplement treadmill. If you don't have something new for them every month, they will not put your stuff in stores. They just won't. They will not buy it. They will not distribute it. So I'm very curious as to how they're going to to work with uh, work around that. Mm. And I'm like, from my perspective, where I live out here in North Dakota, I mean, I live close to the second largest city in the state, and I go to those hobby shops, and most of what they have are board games and comic books, and you know, a shelf or like a couple like a you know couple of shelves to gaming books and it's like if they want to have world of darkness games then it's like okay then we're going to have to not display these you know dungeons and dragons or pathfinder or warhammer books or something else there's just the book like there's been such a dearth of role playing material coming out over the past decade that the amount of shelf space in these stores that they devote to this kind of stuff is gone. I think we need to say that there's been a dearth of traditionally published role-playing games yes. over the last decade because Kickstarter has been phenomenal for well, role-playing. Yes, that, that is what I meant, that there's been a dearth of traditionally published games. And you're there's... right. Um, here I, I've been going, since I've been here in uh, Montana, I've been going to all the hobby shops I can find, and yeah, it's like Matt says, there's a whole lot of board games, there's a little area generally for comic books, and then there's, you know, a small bookshelf with Pathfinder and 5th edition D&D, and maybe one or two others, maybe. Interesting. Well, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to counter you guys and uh, talk about the local Boston area. I've seen that uh, there's, there's basically three, um, like, general hobby gaming stores. Uh, you got the Hobby Bunker, Pandemonium, and the Complete Strategist. Hobby Bunker has actually had an increase in role-playing material. They've actually uh, had more shelf space basically since, like, D&D 5th Edition came out. I think that just kind of helped uh, spur a lot of sales. Uh, Pandemo- or, uh, Complete Strategist as well uh, has been stocking more, um, which they had a, a drop-off in RPG material when they moved to their new location uh, four or five years ago. Wow, it's been a while. Anyway, uh, but Pandemonium actually had a decrease in in uh, shelf space for role playing games, but they also used to have a ridiculous amount. It was like um, 
an eighth of their store was RPG books. And that was that was probably a little too much. Uh, and they've expanded more uh, into into like role playing games. Uh, sorry, into uh, board games and um, also just like the Warhammer stuff and War Machine. Kickstarter though is a weird is a weird thing, and I think obviously if going forward with with uh, fourth edition and, and getting stuff back into into stores is so. This is the thing that I see from local gaming stores with regard to um, Mantic games who obviously do Kings of War and their war gaming stuff is that they do very successful Kickstarters, okay? But they do Kickstarter after Kickstarter after Kickstarter. And there is all the sales that could ever be ever you could ever get out of the people that want to buy these miniatures or buy these products has already been done via the Kickstarter. So for the gaming stores, there is absolutely no reason there is no incentive to stock those products because the people that want them have already got them through Kickstarter now with regards to how roleplay games work you're going to need to have the incentive to stock it and you're going to have to have people prepared to potentially run demo games in some manner so that local game stores can actually get, you know, a, a rather more grassroots kind of growth of sales, rather than losing it all to an online sale distribution platform, which is Kickstarter. So, I think Onyx Path has to make very well. Onyx Path slash White Wolf have to make uh, important decisions upon what products are being delivered through Kickstarter and which ones aren't. Obviously. This is where I would say Onyx Path has been good. Is that you know their products, the products they're really offering on Kickstarter are premium products, which they can't, they just don't have the logistics or the funds to do a traditional print run themselves. And that's the point of the Kickstarter. But hopefully, New White Wolf will be in the position to go. No, we can just make them on mass and pass the 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 sales on to gaming stores and distributors rather than us making the majority of the cut you know what chris chig and matt new white wolf might actually be looking to just forego the gaming stores and focus on just getting this book into you know the sci-fi section of traditional bookstores and that sort of thing when they talk about you know uh getting it out to, to physical locations and you can kind of see um a genesis of this in some older White Wolf products. Uh, they were very experimental with trying to uh, come up with these uh, books that were not just not just a gaming product, but also kind of a cool uh, story, um, fiction element uh, that people might just kind of pick up. And you see that definitely um, with, with, say, like a Vampire the Masquerade core book. There's about, you know, 70 to 100 pages of kind of like cool fluff and information before you actually get to the game rules. And that might be something that we see. Um, it might be that the rules are more of an appendix to this kind of more interesting World of Darkness storybook, I guess you could call it, or a, um, a setting resource, uh, even like a kind of coffee table book that could be produced. Well, I mean, mm. more often than not, I've, I mean, I buy a lot of role-playing game books with no real intent to play the game as much as read the book for its content. But mm. something you mentioned about getting it out to sellers... All they'd really have to do is get it out to Amazon, because 
when you say traditional bookstores, you mean Amazon, right? Amazon is basically as traditional a seller as you can get nowadays, and like that's kind of the the difference. Like you were when you were talking about getting it out to traditional bookstores and stuff, and I was thinking like that's just an issue that all sorts of you know products and distribution are having right now is that it's so much cheaper to get a digital only copy than to travel to a retailer and get the physical one because they don't give you any incentive to get the physical one in most cases. Whereas Amazon has so much convenience on its side. Like, they'll just give it, they'll get it to you no matter what. If you have Prime, there's not even shipping. They'll get it to you in two days for free. (laughs) Yep. The yeah. the sad story I heard with regard to that is I was at um so one of the local gaming stores in Sheffield. He was explaining how uh, Carcassonne board game mm-hmm. it was cheaper, yep. it was cheaper mm-hmm. for him to order it on Amazon and stock it in his store than order it from the actual distributors and or or from the oh. producers. Oh, that's that's brutal. That's brutal. Yeah. Um. Wow. I don't know if we have the same case in the U.S. Uh, because you know European uh, distribution of, of games has always been uh, a bit of an issue uh, if it was not not produced locally in in a European country. Um, but yeah, it's probably getting to that point uh, because Amazon can just get their overheads down so low um, through through mass production and mass shipping that yeah yeah they can get it out to people for pretty cheap. Cool. Um, so you guys want to talk about some other cool ideas that. Uh, Tobias and uh, and Martin included. Uh, yeah, maybe let's talk about like, those. yeah, let's. You know what? You know what? what about more World of Darkness video games? Some might be mm. produced by uh, Paradox Interactive, but uh, White Wolf has been pretty upfront saying that you know because they're doing so much licensing, they're definitely going to consider uh, other studios for other types of games. Because Paradox has a very specific. Uh, they've got like their their Klauswitz uh, engine, uh, which is very good for their kind of grand strategy games. But uh, if you want to do like a, a first person RPG, such as Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, or uh, a cooperative game uh, like the old Hunter uh, console games, uh, you're probably going to want to go somewhere else. You know, talk to uh, talk to Activision or uh, another studio. So what do you guys what do you guys want to see? Uh Matt, do you want to see Heart of Gaia uh Redux redone? Like that's the thing, like the only real World of Darkness video games that I played were uh VTM Redemption and mm-hmm. um the Hunter the Hunter Gauntlet games on PS2. Right. And I liked Redemption. I have Bloodlines, I just could never get it to actually work on my computer because it doesn't like Windows eight for Windows seven for some reason. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, I don't know, but like I do, I did love. I loved Redemption because it did pretty accurately, you know, grasp the tabletop mechanics, and it told a story that was in the world of darkness, but was self-contained enough that it really didn't need to be a part of the meta plot, which is something that I liked because, like, I n- didn't really play Vampire. And so I didn't need to know too much about the game that it didn't give to me. Did you know, Matt, that uh, the Vampire the Masquerade Redemption story was written by Daniel Greenberg, who uh, was an early World of Darkness writer? Well, I imagine that they would have a in-house that White Wolf would have had an in-house writer. And like from what I've heard about Heart of Gaia, like 
I imagine it would be like it's a game that I would want to see, but I also know that it was uh, written by Mr. Brucato, so that the, the plot summary that I read was like, um, okay, maybe not. Well, I mean, I, I'd love to see a werewolf game because I'm, you know, a werewolf fan. But I'm not. We'll see how that goes if they do make a werewolf game. Well, Heart of Gaia is. Uh, I don't know, uh, Chris or Chig, if you know too much about it, but it was really it was this epic uh, werewolf game uh, where you played as basically the last white howler. Uh, those being the the werewolf tribe that fell to the worm. So it had this very epic scope in that regard, and had many cataclysmic events involved. Uh, so I think I can understand your your reticence, Matt. Uh, that it might have been a little too much or dictated too much of the uh, overall meta plot. Right, because, like, The Last White Howler is, like, one of those, you know, only good drow things where mm, everybody right. wants to do it, but no one can really do it well. And the scope of the plot, as I read it, had you, like, you know, you, like, one of your party members was Marie Cabra, you know, the you know, the canonic, like, the storyteller point of view character for the uh, Black Furies. And it's like, it's treading way too much in, you know, this is a meta plot thing, this is going to be happening, you know, in the spotlight, so, you, you know, you're going to need to buy these books to understand what's going on and all this other stuff. Whereas, like, with Redemption, like, even though it's spanned from the Dark Ages to the Modern Nights everything you needed to know about the universe was given to you in game and nothing from the game really stepped outside, like really spilled over into the books because it was again, self-contained. The plot resolved itself and the characters didn't really need to impact the game line as a whole. I mean, yeah, it was, it was a cool supplement in that, uh, there was uh, so Kristoff, the main character, uh, like appears in, in uh, Clan Book Bruja Revised, uh, for example. And in addition to that, a couple of the characters were uh, actually in the Dark Ages line as well. So that's kind of neat to get some extra information on them, but they didn't, you know, really change anything or uh, uh, have any effect on the the setting uh, if you didn't want it to be there right. uh, in, in your personal game. So that's always good. Uh, Chris, Chig, what what kind of ideas do you have? What, what do you want to see? Um, oh. Chig, do you want to see do you want to see a, a knocker um, uh, flight simulator? Would that be fun? Like a curveball experiment? Um, you know, I haven't played that particular video game, but that might actually be fun. I, I do have friends who who play that. Um, I, honestly, besieged. honestly, I'm not a big huge fan of uh, any of the White Wolf. Uh, uh, video game ports. Uh, they just I, I didn't I didn't enjoy the vampire games. I super did not care for the hunter games. So uh, I'm the wrong person to ask about the video games. All right, no problem, no problem, Chig. Um, I think given how mu- how far gaming has kind of changed in some respects, um. I think there's possibility for something... I would actually go for something like Orpheus. Uh, I think that has for some interesting kind of elements that you can pull from uh, the likes of Silent Hill and so forth. Um, 
You could also... I mean, other computer games... It's not World of Darkness, but if you think of... Um, you know... Exalted is, is pretty easy. I think they can pull out loads of games for that. Um, other things for World of Darkness? Uh, I don't know. Mage would be incredibly hard to do something that that fits the bill. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a tough one because in some respects, some some gaming has maybe evolved that allows you to do that. I think there's things you can pull from like the Assassin's Creed kind of series of games. Uh, again, I think that's I think Assassin's Creed is a good example because it, it gives a it gives a way of like storytelling over multiple timelines that fits with Vampire quite neatly. So you can take a lot from that. Um, but for other things, you know, it's, it's, it'll be hard. Oh, I've got one. I've got one that might actually be enjoyable, even to me. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, vampire Jihad game uh, in the style of, of the Civilization games. Hmm. Like, yeah, absolutely. At uh, a city, like at a city scale, like you take over different blocks and stuff, and you have to. Right, and you have to maneuver against the other elders of the of the city or whatever. So basically, prince yeah. of the city in computer game form. That would be wicked. There you go. Like, yeah, absolutely, Chig. That's that's actually precisely the kind of games that uh, Paradox makes. So. Well then, it's like. like you're, a you're, you're lucky now. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna double down on that idea and say because I recently bought um, Leaders, a combined game, which is a German uh, board game, which is like Risk, that uses an app to allow you to do secret maneuvers like espionage, sabotage, and make your secret alliances between the different uh, players who represent different countries or alliances and so forth. I think that very same basis uh, would be perfect for Vampire. And you could then have the same gameplay, but you know, literally with your friends in your living room playing that kind of board game and just add the app on top of Prince of the City kind of gameplay to add all the secret um, intrigue and so forth. And of course, you still get your tech trees in there. So Leaders has tech trees. It's just your tech trees in, in a vampire one would be a little bit more, you know, I've got my Tremere Chantry and we've innovated that we can now make gargoyles. Something like that. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, is that it with uh, video games? I was thinking, like, you was, like when you're talking about new games and stuff, like a werewolf God of War style game would probably work out pretty well because, oh, yeah. Like, just that kind of just brutal combat, tearing things apart, and using, like, the gifts as the magic spells and stuff. Like, that would be, I think that could be a, a decent game if done well. <laughs> just thinking, Werewolf would fit, if you take that and you take the concept from a very old computer game, uh, Legacy of Cain, where you played a vampire where but you could actually shift between two phases of reality. So you had the, the real world and you had kind of like a, a ghostly uh, twilight kind of existence. That would fit Werewolf quite happily. So you could shift between, you know, uh, the real world to an umbral um, reflection, and then or a deep umbral reflection, depending upon how you had to solve certain things, or or how you had to progress through through the uh, the game. Mm-hmm. Nice, I like it. I like it. Cool. Uh, so moving on from there, some other ideas they gave out. Um, 
<clears throat> is of course that uh, White Wolf themselves want to sponsor some like kind of huge epic uh, live action role playing events. Now, as you mentioned, Martin has a lot of experience with uh, Nordic LARPs and that sort of thing. So, you know, if there's guys that can pull it off, it's definitely them. Yeah, they've got an event that's coming up uh, at the start of March. Uh, they're totally sold out. It's called End of Line. Uh, it's a uh, basically it takes place at a, at a Helsinki nightclub. Um, uh, the outline of the game setting is that they it's tied to vampire but only a third of the players will be a third or less of the players will be vampires everyone else is tied to the world of vampire but not vampires uh, so and that is very much in the obviously just reading it is very much in the uh, nordic lark kind of way because there's nothing about anything else about rules, so obviously it's not using, you know, rock paper scissors kind of crap or anything like that. It's just going for full on, you know, LARP. Uh, yep, high immersion. So it'll be um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and to see the photos from it and the video to see how what that means for Vampire the Masquerade as a LARP. Because my often my problem with the problem for me about Vampire and LARP and when I look at it is is uh, suspension of disbelief. Uh, I think that's partially because I'm I don't really understand why vampires would dress so goth because to me I was just like that's just a that's just a target on your head for a hunter. Um, <laughs> yep. So it'll be interesting to see how a more Nordic environment approaches vampire LARP. Yep, could be good. You guys got any other comments or shall we move on? Oh. All right, I'll take that as a move on. So uh, another thing they were talking about is, of course, novels and interactive fiction. And Chig, I know you have some pretty strong opinions about World of Darkness fiction. <laughs> I'm sure that there are good World of Darkness fiction examples out there. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head that I've read. Oh, I can. Uh, Predator and Prey Vampire. And also Predator and Prey Mage. Yeah, I don't think mm, I read yeah. those. Uh, they're pretty good. I like them. I liked it when I was in high school, so that's yeah. actually probably not a good metric. <laughs> yeah. You should maybe go back and try rereading those. Well, I mean, there's the other ones, like Clan Novel Saga, I realized were like, no, these aren't very good. No, these aren't the best. Uh, but those ones stood out as being like, oh, these are really interesting and cool. Uh, mostly because they don't try to tell like some epic, you know, globetrotting story. They kind of just focus in on one character and its relationships uh, set in the world of darkness and uh, kind of, you know, give you some cool ideas to work with uh, for your games. Like, there's a lot of really interesting... NPCs that you could easily grab from uh, those two novels uh, for your vampire uh, mage or, or in pretty much any uh, World of Darkness game, uh, which would be good. But anyway, Chig, yeah, uh, novels, interactive fiction, there's there's some possibilities there. Um, one interesting thing. So when they say... Yeah. Do they mean choose your own uh, adventure? <laughs> I, I think they because were super vague. Choose your own adventure I, vampire I, books. <laughs> I don't... Uh, there is one choose your own adventure I'm vampire I'm aware. Book. And it's a good joke. It was super great. Um, I should go replay that. So yeah, no, that's. I don't think that was the intent, but uh, they were, they didn't specify too much uh, in that regard. They're mostly we're talking about uh, more traditional, you know, prose novels. It seems as though Martin has uh, a lot of contacts in uh, the the publishing industry, knows a lot of writers. Uh, so that's definitely uh, you know pretty cool, and interesting, and and could be good. We haven't. Well, well, we have seen uh, an increase in short story, you know, anthology publishment uh, from uh, from Onyx Path. So I'm kind of interested how that'll that'll interplay. 
if if they will have to cease doing that or if there's just going to be this kind of separate more traditionally published like world of darkness novel line uh which white wolf itself uh manages and and uh uh licenses out to some publishing firm well a lot of the short story anthologies have been for chronicles of darkness properties so i don't think it's really going to be a problem no 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 they've had uh, the werewolf uh, two two werewolf ones yeah mage uh at least one vampire for uh for hunters hunted two uh but yeah there's also been a significant number of the uh, chronicles of darkness uh, anthologies as well. How would you? Because I haven't read loads of the classic World of Darkness kind of like written fiction, but how would you compare that to some of the stuff you've read from Chronicles of Darkness? Uh, mm. I, it's 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 always a mixed bag with an anthology. There's some good stories in there where and some some gems where you like kind of see like oh there's some really cool idea here, but other times you know. They, they a lot of times with the the classic world of darkness stuff uh the the older anthologies like um uh when will you rage for for werewolf uh and truth before paradox they kind of just like grab these authors off the street and were like here write write a page or werewolf short story <laughs> like the jay no name saga oh my gosh that is a uh uh, Matt, could you please uh, inform our listeners what the Jay No Name Saga is? I'm only vaguely aware of it, but I do know that the main character was a Bastet werewolf hybrid, which, by the way, can never happen, whom a technocrat then abducted and gave him a shape-shifting robot arm. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was supposed to be a full trilogy uh, related to the Rage uh, collectible card game, but they never published books two and three. I can't imagine why. Based on the premise, that sounds amazing. It was definitely unique with its Mary Sue character, or uh, Gary (laughs) Stu. But yeah, yeah, uh, fiction, I'm kind of just going to try to be open-minded and just kind of see what happens. It would be cool if they released some... Uh, very professionally written uh, stories in the future, and yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, could be some cool stuff. And following on from that, uh, kind of related, but uh, there were some questions about getting some World of Darkness comic books produced. Uh, as you may recall, there were uh, numerous comic book uh, pages in many of the uh, Werewolf, uh, the Apocalypse source books of, of again, you know, anthology mixed quality. Uh, some of them are, are very highly regarded, others didn't really make sense panel to panel. Uh, and there was also this uh, uh, Moonstone Press did both Vampire the Masquerade and Werewolf the Apocalypse uh, comic books back in the uh, early 2000s. And there are some actually uh, really good uh, issues to that. Uh, I specifically recall that the Nosferatu issue is really rad. And also one uh, by by James Lauder, who is a, a Ravenloft and World of Darkness writer that people should be kind of familiar with. And he did one on uh, the Lazambra, Lazambra comic book issue that was really cool as well. So, what do you guys think? Do you, do you want to see comic books? Jake, you read a lot of comic books. Um, I do read a lot of comic books, and I have uh, several of the anthologies uh, or collected editions of the uh, old Moonstone comics that you were talking about. Um, I must have missed the good ones. Because these, there, are some stinkers. I kept buying them, hoping they'd get better, but uh, I was sorely disappointed. Um, do I think that they could make interesting and uh, compelling comic books? Absolutely, of course they could. If I mean, if if they can do it with Pathfinder, 
then yeah, they can do it with World of Darkness. Um, if they will, that remains to be seen. I'll I'll pick up the first couple of uh, trade paperbacks to see if they're any good, but I'm not really going right to hold on, them right, right on. Well, I think the uh, kind of interesting things to think about is <clears throat> that comic book distribution is is changing quite a bit, and it's going a lot more digital, uh, which is actually, when you talk about interactive fiction, uh, we look at like Comixology and how they have their uh, you know panel-by-panel -panel, uh, app set up. That's uh, a really easy application to uh, kind of make some sort of multimedia uh, uh products uh, that could include sounds as well as uh, images, uh, which could really kind of draw you into the world of darkness. Well, when you say interactive fiction earlier, when I was thinking of something like the Telltale Games stuff... Mm, yeah, definitely. Because like, that, that kind of thing where there isn't really much gameplay beyond the choices you make and how the story unfolds. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of computer RPGs uh, are similar to that. The, the Telltale games are kind of just like bare bones versions, basically, which kind of have you on the uh, this kind of constrained decision path. But yeah, that's that's definitely a, an option that I think they should consider. There's not much difference actually between a choose your own adventure and a Telltale game, so it could be cool to uh, see something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, cool, Chris. Got any uh, comments on comic books? I can't remember which of the, one of the Moonstone ones I had. Um, I think it was the Toreador one, which may have been the first one they released. Yep, it uh, was. It was all right. Um, it, it was just kind of a review of what Vampire the Masquerade is, yeah. as I recall. So if they went so downhill after you know. that, then that's a shame. Um, no, the Nasiratu one was the second one, and it's really good. <laughs> Chig, go read it again. Um, or maybe for the first time. I like comic books. I mean, it's just a case of... Uh, and obviously, with comicsology, yeah, things are a lot more accessible. Um, just do good art and good stories, basically. <laughs> you know, uh, there's not much more to say beyond that. And again, I think a lot of these ideas I've got for One World of Darkness, I'm going to say again, is I think there's certain things from you know, Chronicles of Darkness that would make great comic books as well. So I think they've got tons of stuff they can try out and test out. Um, yeah. I would want to see a Mummy of the Curse comic book. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to say it straight up. I think that'd be great. Mm. You got all the different timelines. The imagery would be phenomenal. Seeing this kind of interplay between uh, the old, um, I can't remember, uh, Irem culture yeah. uh, and the uh, more modern or um, <clears throat> historical settings that they uh, explore. I think it'd be great. That's well, Mummy of the Curse is basically World of Darkness Highlander. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Or that's a that's a good way to try to run your game, uh, inspired by that story <laughs> structure. I am I am thinking more along those lines. I think I'm getting more comfortable with possibly what I would run for Mummy at some point. We'll see. I might run it as a one shot when I've got a gaming group properly sorted. Um, yeah. I think Demon Descent would make a really good uh, novel series because it has that kind of spy noir kind of feel to it. It would possibly even make a really good TV series. Uh, I, I constantly refer to Demon the Descent as the best game that I cannot understand. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I still, I still, I get it. I get it. I get what the game. I get all the bits in the game that are there. I just can't figure out how to sort out. A campaign to run that will feel like that noir kind of thing. I think it's partially because of like the God Machine and how encompassing it is. So I kind of need to just think some more about that, and read some more stuff. 
Anyway, on our list, what else have we got now? We've talked about books, talked about comics. Uh, you had the great segue, Chris. What about television? Martin said that if they have not gotten a Netflix <laughs> or HBO series by 2021, they've completely okay. failed. Uh, so that's that's the metric. So let's go got. back to the classic thing, which I think Rose Bailey has always said about Kindred the Embrace. Kindred the Embrace is the best Vampire the Requiem TV series because the way they portrayed certain clans and that, or or, or so forth, or vampires, actually fitted better the clans in Vampire the Requiem than Vampire the Masquerade. It was a show ahead of its time. I keep trying to yeah. tell people. Um, yeah, so there's only five clans, first off, uh, in the city of San Francisco. And yeah, they definitely link up pretty well. Um, the, actually, yeah, the Nosferatu in that are way better as uh, Requiem Nosferatu, aren't they? Yeah, and the Bruja is very much more kind of Mechette style uh, rather right. than being... So, I don't know, they could... Again, they've got so much they could try. Obviously, yeah, go with Vampire the Masquerade because it's the bigger, more well-known IP. Um, but I, you know what, Chris? I'm going to... I'm gonna... I'm going to have to interject right there, and we'll kind of put this up for discussion, but there's a lot of vampire uh, shows and media out there, which, you know, uh, kind of is is of a similar tangent to Vampire the Masquerade, for whatever reason, for whatever reason. Oh, uh, I wonder do why. You, do you think that it's just going to, is it going to be able to, you know, swim in that kind of an environment, a, a solely vampire-themed show? Uh, what do you guys uh, think? Well, um, no. <laughs> Daredevil and Jessica Jones were able to pull it off, but I think you need that kind of you need that kind of you know clout and money behind it to get the actors that can pull that kind of show off. You will have, I think, based and this goes back to something that I think the guys at White Wolf said very clearly is that they will be they will be taking a very, very firm control of their IP going forward mm. with a lot of these things. So, you know how it's kind of... It's going to be that kind of the real Ghostbusters cartoon series kind of route, where when they when they are in a position to put out a Vampire the Masquerade TV series, they will be... I think they'll be very vocal about, you know, there's a reason why you've seen all these type of things, bef- seen things similar before, and this is why. And now you're going to get the proper vampires on TV. Um, I think they, they're definitely going to have to go down that kind of route of really being quite stern in, in where they sit in, in uh, vampire uh, media, because so much has been... Like, really, so much has either been cribbed from Anne Rice or Vampire the Masquerade. Like, nothing else had clans before or anything else. I mean, hell, isn't... I've seen... I think I was... Who was it that was saying this? Not Matt McFarlane. Uh, Matt, uh, Matt McElroy commented on Facebook how... It's funny how the prince the prince of the city in, the, in, uh, in New Orleans in... The TV show The Originals, which is a spin-off of Vampire Diaries, his name is called Marcel and looks very similar to the Marce- a certain other Marcel, Prince of the City, who's also a vampire who lives in New Orleans and appears in a certain Vampire the Masquerade book. It's like, hmm. hmm. So they're going to, I think, going forward, they're going to have to really properly address that 
and really show that where Vampire the Masquerade had a lot of the novelty and basically just wrench it back from the hands of them. Because really, right now on TV, what have we got that's actually interesting vampire-wise? From Dust Till Dawn, because it actually has, it uses some different you know, vampire mythology uh, with the Mesoamerican basis, and, and it's all about snakes rather than bats for once. Uh, and then what else? Vampire Diaries? No. Anything on Supernatural? No. Uh, it's, it's all rehashed crap. It's really... Um, it's actually really dire. <laughs> Don't even start bit. me on. Don't even start me on True Blood. That's a pile of crap. Um, True Blood's over. Yeah, thank God. Um, yeah, no kidding. But then, it's a real question of what we saw that was actually good. Yeah, I mean, essentially, yeah, Kindred of the Embrace was ahead of its time. Uh, in some ways, it was. Yeah. Uh, so something I remember Mister Gone saying on uh, the internet web forums uh, is that he always felt that if they were going to do a World of Darkness TV show. It should be more anthology-based. Maybe there would be an organization, maybe a hunter group, a hunter cell. One of oh. the, uh, maybe maybe the Project Twilight. Well, that's earring a little close to uh, to X Files, but uh, maybe maybe the Inquisition, the Society of Leopold, for example. Uh, and having each episode focus on a different type of supernatural. You know, you'll start off with maybe like a kind of mythology episode, then episode one's vampires, then you go to werewolf, mage, for example. And kind of go from there. So you highlight all these different uh, aspects of the world of darkness and uh, try to convey some of the cool ideas, but also kind of hold on to the mystery as well. That would be kind of cool. And I think that's really cool because then if people want to explore, like, oh, this vampire episode is really cool. Vampire the Masquerade, interesting. And then they pick up the book and they finally get, like, the real truth to it. That would be wicked. I mean, the basis for that I would use as uh, the model of that type of show. Um... The Hunger TV series, so the, it was called The Hunger, but it had nothing to do with the film, the the David Bowie film. It was an was a super was a kind of edgy, racy, kind of sexy, supernatural, paranormal anthology show. Uh, series one, I think, always had show openings and closings done by Terence Stamp. Season two was done by David Bowie, uh, and. I think it was all funded by Ridley Scott and a few other people. And I've got season two on DVD. And I haven't watched all of the uh, anthologies. And it works. You just get these nice little self-enclosed stories that say that, that, that are kind of weird and spooky and a bit sexy in places or a bit a bit murderous and, and, uh, and um, violent. But... You know, there's so much in World of Darkness, you can just dip your toes in at certain places. And then when if you see something that really works, there's no reason why you can't bring it back for another episode, another another one that adds to that uh, story. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was going to be my uh, my comment or something similar to that. How, how deep into the various game lines can you get if you just have a one-hour uh, episode about the vampires? And, furthermore, assuming that they want to do an anthology based around a group that's you know looking into this or investigating this, people are going to be really upset that there's not an actual mainline core book for that group. Cha-ching, Chig. Cha-ching. Like, like Let's make I, another one. If well, I wanted to do a uh, an X-Files uh, comparison, 
if I'm if I'm watching the X Files on TV, I don't I don't want to play the uh, the random monster of the week or the aliens or whatever. I want to play the FBI guys. Hmm. So so basically, well, what you're talking about is making a ta- a uh, Hunter the Vigil TV series. No, because I want an actual good game. Whoa, 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 whoa. shots fired. Shots fired. Uh, wait, Chig, wait, 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 Chig, 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 Chig. You think that Hunter the Reckoning is better than Hunter the Vigil? God, no. <laughs> because uh, Hunter the Reckoning is no. the best. So, okay, okay. Uh, another option, kind of going down the middle of that, is something structured more like The Wire. Uh, where each mm-hmm. season kind of focuses on a particular supernatural type with uh, vampires being the um, uh, the the Parksdale gang, if you will, of, of the uh, setting. And also having like the uh, more investigatory um, branch of the Arcanum or whomever. No, that sounds good. I mean, that's kind of like what um, the Three Shades of... Was it Three Shades of Night? series of um, books they did for Chronicles of Darkness. It started. It was a story that started off as a vampire with vampire, moved right, on right. to werewolf and then finally on to mage and it told in total a full story. The nice thing about that is in Chronicles of Darkness there's no reason for immediate antagonism between those three parties. Now going to World of Darkness maybe that is where Again, the setting needs to be kind of updated and massaged in places so that you don't have this, I'm a werewolf, you're a vampire, I'm going to kill you on sight because you're a creature of the worm. I think there there needs to be some massaging and and blurring of the lines in places. Yeah, because clearly they're going to come into conflict because that's uh, just simply the basis of the world of darkness that there's all these competing interests. You don't need to uh, codify that all of these... Um, you don't need to have that built-in racism, basically, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather the antagonism be based around kind of political, factional re- reasons, not, as you say, racial reasons, essentially. Absolutely, absolutely. Matt, you got any uh, final ideas here uh, regarding a World of Darkness uh, television show? Well... You know, like I said, and then was swiftly shot down by Bryce. <gasps> like that, like a hundred the visual kind of thing. Like if that's how you want to, you know, have your lens through the to the world be is the kind of like the hunters of the things that lurk in the shadows. But I think it'd probably be better put as you have like the very like you need to give the various factions more screen time than you do that kind of thing where you have like one season focusing on the vampires and one season focusing on the werewolf and one season focusing on the mages and you do need to create more um more distinction between the different races and factions so that they actually have a reason to interact in a way that isn't you know I'm going to murder all of you because of thing that God said I do. And that's um, that's very easy to do uh, in many ways. You know, you have a, a Tremere and uh, Mage conflict uh, easily. Uh, clearly border disputes between, uh, you know, more uh, Garud territory in the, in the vampires. And really just take it from there. So there's there's tons of ideas. And uh, really, the uh, I'm sure whomever is able to write for this series will uh, have no dearth of... Uh, cool ideas and uh, 
great stuff to use from the uh, previous 25 years that the uh, World of Darkness has been in, in existence. Just make it about the uh, lower class groups of all the various splats. So it's about the Bone Nars who interact with the Nosferatu who hang out with the Slua. Well, oh my gosh, that would actually be really fun. <laughs> well, I mean, things like, I'm not, sh- I mean, that's one thing is you're wondering, are, like, are those things going to still exist in the, you know, the, not the new world of darkness, but the one world of darkness that they're going to create, because they're going to be changing all sorts of stuff. Are they, though? We don't, we don't really know if they're going to be changing and removing things, or just kind of massaging and uh, making more palatable to our uh more progressive and refined taste to the 21st I'm not century. Sure how you can make the Wendigo palatable to modern tastes? Hmm. I'll send I'll send David Hill a message and see what he has to say. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> moving moving on from there. Um, yeah, we we've covered a lot of this stuff already. Uh, and basically, yeah, uh, just going over the different licensees. Uh, they're pretty much the same as before. You know, Onyx Path is publishing Chronicles of Darkness Exalted in the uh, World of Darkness 20th Anniversary role-playing game books. Uh, By Night Studios will continue to publish LARP books. Uh, you know, they've uh, uh, Martin and Tobias have shown a lot of support and interest for Vampire the Eternal Struggle, the, the collectible card game, so hopefully that can uh, be published again. Uh, there's a huge fan group uh, for, for that CCG up in Sweden, so that's, uh, I'm sure, why they get so much exposure to it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, anything could happen in the future. So uh, let's let's see what happens. It's going to be exciting. So moving on uh, from uh, that news, what's Onyx Path been up to? Our, our good friends over there, Rich Thomas, et cetera, and uh, all the support staff. Chig, it finally happened for you. Changeling 20th Anniversary Edition on Kickstarter. And it just rocked it, man. Oh yeah, three thousand eight. Uh, sorry, three hundred eighty thousand dollars. A little Lots more than three grand. It. A little more there. <laughs> yeah, definitely good stuff. Uh, so Jig, how how did you feel about that Kickstarter? Was it everything that you wanted it to be? It was a lot of what I hoped it would be. Um, All right, good. There were there were there were some things that I I, I questioned, but uh, you know what? In the end, I'm a satisfied customer. Absolutely. I mean, we'll 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 talk about it more once it finally comes out. I don't think they even had the uh uh draft text available for the Kickstarter, did they? Not that I saw. Yeah, I didn't see I that either. I think they might have gotten burned on Beast on that one. Uh I'm not sure. No, they certainly uh released other um draft texts since then for like Lore of the Clans and and other things. So I don't think that's the case. It's just simply that it wasn't it wasn't ready yet. Uh, so they, they haven't uh, released it. I saw uh, like a day or two ago that Black Hat Matt was doing uh, some red lines on it, so it's probably just, just not ready. So uh, Changing 20th, uh, it's got a mixture of uh, old writers and new. Uh, so we saw, for example, Holden Shearer, who did a lot of work on the uh, Exalted 3rd Edition mechanics, is uh, helping out with trying to brush up cantrips and uh, all that, uh, those mechanical systems for Changeling 20th. And we've also seen some classic writers, uh, you know, Black Hat Matt, we mentioned, uh, working as the uh, the main developer, but also uh, people like Jackie Casada and Nikki Rhea. So they're uh, very cool people to see uh, as well. Yeah, they have a, just a fantastic group of people working on this, and I'm, I'm, I'm just thrilled. Indeed, and there was one super cool stretch goal that I know Chig was exceptionally excited for uh as well as adrian over at uh, midnight express and that is kith book boggin 
Finally. Only 20 years late, but I'll take it. Indeed. So that's uh, one of the splat books that never came out. So that's cool. And uh, I'll cover the Boggins, who are the, uh, you know, nice, casual, homely people that would just want to hang out and not go on any adventures. They're the hobbits of the setting. A little bit. A little bit. Cool. And uh, in addition to that, uh, we got the Demon Storyteller's Guide for Demon the Descent, which has, I've got to say, one of the sexiest book covers ever. And in fact, I tried to find some reviews to like find the actual content on it, and I didn't really find anything other than people agreeing that it's got a really cool cover. I've not picked it up yet, so it's, uh, I have to check what its contents are and see how it might help me on working out what that Demon the Descent uh, Chronicle should look like. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely good stuff, uh, of course, from uh, Rose Bailey. Always good stuff. It's got uh, some so... alternate settings in it that I've heard very good what? about. What? Yeah. That's interesting. It's got like one set in like the ancient past, one set in like a different universe entirely. There's <laughs> one with giants that I've like, I haven't really read that much of the book. I just know that there's one where it's set in basically um, like the cradle of humanity where the vampires are like maintaining a city and the demons are trying as well and the werewolves are pissed that all the men from the forests are leaving to go live in the city and stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, I have read about sounds that. Sounds great. It does it sounds very exalted actually, so hmm. Hmm. Interesting. And of course we got Mage Twenty, How Did You Do That? which has uh, rules and recommendations to kinda of help codify and inspire uh use of the Mage Sphere system, so so cool um, I have this, and I've yeah. read this book, and yeah. it, it is really well done. I, I really like what they, what they did with it. All right, excellent. Moving on from there, of course, uh, Vampire 20th, Lore of the Clans came out, which is a kind of cool, updated, and rewritten compilation of the uh, uh, of different clan book source books uh, for Vampire 20th. So it's all new all new stuff, all new information, uh, just kind of taking inspiration from the older clan books uh, and putting them all in one place. Uh, there's a huge Kickstarter, it's very well received, and uh, I'm actually thinking about grabbing a copy. Uh, it'll help if uh, my players want to run or play Vampire after this, that'd be good. Uh, but we'll see what happens. And then, Chris, there's a book that you read that you're pretty psyched about. So can you tell us a little something about that Chronicles of Darkness core book? So Chronicles of Darkness core book is essentially the, I guess you could say, a, a weird re-release of the God Machine Chronicles book. But the difference is where the God Machine Chronicles book was an add-on to the old uh, New World of Darkness core, core book, the, the classic blue book. This is now the new blue book so it's got all the rules in there it's got all the god machine chronicles uh changes to it so it is a complete rule book that you'll ever need um so if you've read chronicles of, uh the god machine chronicles sorry uh expansion book there is not really anything too new in here uh other than it seems like they've expanded a few systems here and there in particular they've added a new system that revolves around how you frame investigations and how you make those investigation roles and what they mean and how characters discover uh, what is going on and whether the clues they have lead to them being able to make a, uh, a meaningful conclusion. Uh, so these are that's maybe a good system if you're trying to uh, replicate for your characters how they 
are pulling together and gathering clues to put together some uh, case for convicting some criminal, or it's uh, or how they re- or how you're trying to 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 frame how a character would do some research that would take place over a very long period of time, where say they're decoding uh, some sort of message uh, or or hacking some some very vast computer program or performing some uh, you know scientific research that type of thing. Otherwise, it's pretty much the same book. It's it's good though to have it in one thing. Uh, I don't think it's out yet as hard copy from Drive Through RPG, but the moment it is, I think I will be getting a copy. All right, nice, nice. Yeah, and uh, of course, uh, something cool that uh, Onyx Path put out is Pugmire, which is a sort of D twenty based anthropomorphic dog role playing game by Eddie Webb. Kind of family oriented, family themed. And the reason why I just bring it up, you know, I know we here, uh, hosts of the show, weren't, like, too taken and psyched about this, but there's been a lot of people that have been talking to me about this game that don't really know much about tabletop RPGs, so it's definitely making waves, and people are really excited about it, so I think it's, uh, it's some cool stuff, and, uh, just want to give a shout-out, uh, to anyone that hasn't checked it out, uh, the Kickstarter's still going on right now, so it's definitely, uh, pretty cool. And what other cool stuff is coming up from Onyx Path? Well, we got V20, Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand. And, of course, uh, for Vampire the Requiem, Secrets of the Covenant is finally making its release. We've been looking for that one for a couple years, haven't we, uh, Chris? So that one is going to be more more like their um, the clan books they did for Requiem. So it's more of a in-game artifact rather than just being a, a dossier on the entire how each of the covenants work because they've already done those books uh, they exist so if you want those books you can get them but they're going to have hopefully this will also update some of the rules and some of the stuff that didn't fit in the uh, the Vampire the Re- Requiem uh, Strix Chronicles uh, edition you know second edition Vampire the Requiem sorry uh, core book cool all right good stuff and of course we're gonna go over we're gonna talk a little bit about by night studios we really mention these guys too much uh but they're the larp live action role play uh licensees for the uh uh one world of darkness and uh i would assume as well uh chronicles of darkness uh uh larp books uh they actually previously released uh mind's eye theater vampire the masquerade 20th anniversary and it was very well received and pretty interesting because as well as updating the live action roleplay rules, uh, it actually forwarded the meta plot. It's kind of like this, I don't really want to say a post Gehenna scenario um, because they don't really say if, if Gehenna, if the end times really happened, it, it might've just been a bad hair day for vampires uh, overall, but some things did happen back in 2004 and really uh, shook up the setting. Um, and it's pretty cool. And, and as I mentioned, very well received. And they currently have their second Kickstarter going on right now for Mind's Eye Theater Werewolf. And uh, this has been a little bit uh, divisive. So I figured we'd, we'd talk about some of the things we've heard about uh, regarding this this new rule set and how it kind of impacts the uh, uh, World of Darkness overall and what our, our feelings are on this. So, Matt, I know you've, you've got very strong opinions about this, uh, particularly this one mechanic where... Uh, players, uh, characters in a setting who are mortals can now become werewolves by being bitten. Uh, whereas previously, you know, lycanthropy was purely genetic. You know, you, it was something you were born with due to uh, a guru um, uh, having a child with a with a kinfolk. 
Yeah, that kind of, you know, changes werewolf's cosmology rather substantially. Mm. Which is putting it mildly. Yeah, a little bit. It, it's so so I can understand. We'll, we'll kind of break this down a little bit. Um a lot of people probably go into werewolf fiction and media expecting that uh, you beca- can become a werewolf by being bitten. That's that's kind of an assumption that a lot of people make. Um, so when they see that uh, it's only due to genetics and birth in, in Werewolf the Apocalypse, that is a bit of a change. So I can see why the uh, developers may want to uh, include this mechanic uh, to, you know, just kind of kind of include those people and, and kind of ease them in more gently. But yeah, I do agree as well, Matt, that uh, it, it's definitely a, a significant change um, in that it's now going to be very different than, say, the, the Werewolf 20th tabletop game that, that just came out a couple years ago. This is uh, a significant difference, which existing players of tabletop, when they go to a LARP, are not going to be expecting. Right, and I mean, there's always, and there's always the option of lost cubs, like, you know, oh, hey, you know, these two people just happen to be kinfolk, and oh, look, they just happen to have a guru kid. What do you know? That happened. Like, that's a thing. You can have people become werewolves that aren't, you know, a part of greater werewolf society. It's just that the issue of, you know, the werewolves being all, well, we've got, you know, the apocalypse war coming up. Why don't we just go bite everyone in Minnesota? Because you need more than a million people. Like, like that's the thing. Like it really changes the dynamics of the game to just have them be able to shore up their numbers at will. Okay, so here mm. here's my here's my my hot take on this. Uh, oh, the hottest take. The hottest of takes. So yeah, there are totally werewolves in this new LARP edition that uh, transmit lycanthropy by bite. However, these are werewolves. These are not Garou. They might think they're Garou. They might have the same. Um, whatever LARP mechanics as Guru, but uh, two, three supplements down the line, turns out, nope, those are totally worm-tainted bastards. That's a possibility. I was thinking that obviously there's going to be uh, certain societal or, or social implications for being uh, uh, a, a turned werewolf as opposed to a uh, natural-born Guru. Uh, that's definitely something that they can kind of write in and experiment with. And it's kind of interesting, you know, when when in a tabletop game, let's say, uh, actually, a good example is Werewolf, or uh, sorry, Vampire Twentieth. Uh, when that came out, they made a mechanical change, uh, which is very subtle and doesn't really affect pretty much anyone's game. But they they f- decided that uh, they're going to make it much easier for vampires to uh, have sex. Uh, previously, mechanics were included for spending blood points to be able to uh, you know actually perform and have intercourse. Um, and they just got rid of those and said, like, hey, you know, they can just, you know, do their thing. Uh, now, it's very easy in a uh, in a, a tabletop game to just ignore those mechanics and just make it, oh, we'll just use it the, uh, the old way, how it's, how it's always been. But in a LARP environment, when there's a lot of different troops, which may be in the same uh, overall, like, Camarilla organization, it's much more difficult for individual storytellers to make those changes. Um and kind of do their own thing. So that's that's why it's a little difficult to uh, uh, separate out this new idea uh, in the LARP environment. Oh, I, I do have uh, I do have a question yeah. about uh, the uh, werewolves who are infected. Sure. How how does that work? How do you, how do you? Uh, how, I I don't know. So I couldn't actually find the rule book. 
and not get literally torn to shreds. Like if you're a vampire, yeah, mm. the, the embrace is this whole big, you know, pseudo-sexual, kind of rapey almost in cases thing. But if you're if you're a werewolf and you have rage and you have a hair trigger between you know, normal dude and uh, nine-foot-tall living chainsaw. Well, I, I don't think it's a thing that happens accidentally. Like, I think it's, you know, oh, I'm going to go into lupus form and bite this guy and, you know, do whatever else or something that's done deliberately. Like, if you're in the midst of a death rage, you aren't just going to casually bite someone and then, you know, let them run off and survive. They're, they're a dead man. Right, but what I'm saying is, yeah. let's say that you do you do bite someone or scratch someone or whatever. How does their you know now being a bleeding prey animal next to you not trigger your rage and you just rip them to shreds? Uh, because that's not how rage works in Apocalypse. That is how it sort of works in Forsaken. But it's been a while since I read the rage rules. Yeah, most of the time, like your rage triggers in Apocalypse are like. You get injured, you get insulted, you get damaged by silver, someone hurts something you love, that kind of thing. Forsaken, you know, tasting human blood on your tongue is a death rage trigger. Being in being in the war form and not actively trying to murder someone is also a death rage trigger. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh so I'm I'm see when we see it I yeah guess. exactly so so it was very difficult to really find any information on this uh, there isn't a uh, like a draft copy of the rules included on the Kickstarter right now uh, and if you do want to check out the new LARP rules the Kickstarter uh, by Bi9 Studios is currently going on so <clears throat> you can run over uh, to Kickstarter and check that out and another mechanic which is far less divisive and I think is actually great uh, that they're including in this new edition is factions so they're kind of uh, including new mechanics and. Uh, uh, structure to the politics of the guru, uh, which I feel was uh, something that was uh, kind of always missing from from World of Darkness games. I'm glad that someone's trying to tackle this uh, overall. So there's now factions to kind of uh, develop the the relationships between different groups of werewolves, whether it be packs or septs, or um, just kind of more of like a, a, a ideological block. And uh, by doing this, uh, you kind of get away from just having these monolithic tribes uh, duking it out politically and just make it more uh, subtle and uh, include more variety into your games. So I think it's really cool. Anyone got any other comments on that? I agree. That that does sound like it'd be interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the issue with um, Old Apocalypse is that there were kind of ideological blocks, but they were a lot that they were either tribes or the camps within tribes, and occasionally mm. at the more metropolitan septs, you started to get other kinds of divisions because people could gather together, but more often than not, you really had the more factional tribes that really had a lot of that infighting going on, but they tried to prevent a unified front to everybody else. So, I mean, I'll have to read and see how they do it, or, you know, not, but... It's something that the game could use, particularly if they're doing it in a LARP setting, because a LARP kind of needs that kind of thing. Like like I told you earlier, it sounds like they're basically taking the vampire LARP and just putting werewolves in it. Jake, you, uh, you can use that line right there? No, it's all yours, man. Go jump on it. No. So, so, Matt, are you saying they have a 
metroseptual division. Shut up. Oh, uh, it's so bad. <laughs> anyway, I think I think that's it for uh talking about uh By Night Studios. Uh good stuff over there and uh you know, some cool people. Uh and I think it's time that we we finish the news unless anyone has anything else to talk about. And we go over to the secret frequency. So, inspired by certain uh, rappers, or particular rapper recently, going on about the fact that the Earth is flat, uh, instead I w- went down the rabbit hole and instead considered uh, the classic Greek that the Earth is in fact hollow. So, of course, we're taught that the Earth is, you know, and there's plenty of evidence that the Earth is round. Well, ignore the conspiracy theories that the Earth is flat, uh, though. Um, that's a wonderful conspiracy theory, useful for any particular game. Uh, I'm sure we might have some how that could be used. Uh, we'll continue with the idea of a hollow Earth. So the idea is that uh, the Earth is more like a torus, it's like a donut. And the inside of the Earth, uh, on the inside surface, is also its own world. It's not uh, a fiery, it's not a, a fiery, molten environment of, of molten rock. Uh, with a, a, a molten iron core. It's in fact its own world, it has its own atmosphere. And it's believed that, you know, it's this kind of uh, theory has been believed uh, for many hundreds of years. Uh, so the notion that, that, that the interior of the Earth uh, is its own uh, world that can be uh, accessed as obviously goes back to ideas of the underworld, uh, the Greek underworld, or... Um, in Tibetan Buddhism, it speaks of the earth of a city, Shambhala, existing inside the earth and is a spiritual kingdom. Uh, the idea then, in more recent times, uh, in the 1700s, was noted when astronomer Edmund Halley, who obviously computed the orbit of Halley's Comet, uh, put forth that while trying to explain anomalous compass readings that the Earth instead consisted of three different sized spheres that surrounded an inner core. All these shells were separated by atmospheres and rotated at different speeds. The scientific community obviously mulled over these ideas and uh, based upon this we have such fictional journeys such as uh, a journey to the centre of the Earth written by Jules Verne. Now, in modern times, we have many proponents of the hollow earth theory. I don't know how they get on with people that believe in a flat earth, but hey, I mean, you should just put them in a room and have at it. And there are many conspiracy theorists that believe that uh, in February 1947, same year that uh, you know, we had the uh, UFO crash in New Mexico, uh, a noted aviator and navigator by the name of Richard E. Bird entered the inner earth via the North Pole. He wrote about his experience in in his notebooks and he described that he'd seen a woolly mammoth there and had discovered a huge shimmering city made of crystals and was warned by an inhabitant there about the use of atomic weaponry on the surface. He was also told uh, that attempts had been made by their race to warn humanity of the path they were taking, the futility of war. Obviously skeptics thought that Beard was mad uh, and this was a blown up fantastical tale of delusion. 
It's also rumoured that Adolf Hitler uh, was a proponent of the Hollow Earth theory and was trying to find numerous entrances to uh, contact the inhabitants and make use of their uh, mystical knowledge uh, to uh, enhance his own war effort. And of course, many cryptozoologists believe that creatures like Bigfoot and Yeti are inhabitants of the inner Earth who have somehow found cave networks to lead them to the outer Earth. So, of course, does the Hollow Earth exist? No, most evidence is suggesting, of course, that there is no Hollow Earth. Though, that doesn't prove that there may be vast regions within the Earth's crust which can be uh, that they have their own ecology and their own atmospheres because these are very large caverns and have their own uh, water flow uh, which is separate from the, that upon the surface. And we can use these ideas that then initially, the, and I think in the case of Yeti, yeah, maybe there are there are regions, pockets within the Earth's crust which are habitable uh, and uh, from which certain cryptid creatures uh, can exist in. Or perhaps are where aliens actually come from, you never know. Also along that line, not only do you have cryptids, but if you take uh, inspiration from the films such as The Descent, uh, there may well be humanoids that exist in these uh, hollow pockets of the Earth, uh, which is maybe not too fantastical to, to believe because uh, it's been scientific evidence is increasing that in earlier periods of our uh, ancient or prehistory that in fact the earth was being ro was roamed upon by many different humanoid creatures it's often quoted by uh, paleontologists that in that time period earth was a rather lord of the rings land with various different uh, pre homo sapien humanoids that existed and evidence is building that even some of these humanoid creatures were capable of certain uh, levels of uh, manipulation of tools and creation of items so how can we make use of the hollow earth theory and maybe possibly how can we make use of the flat earth conspiracy theory um, I've gone through a lot I think it, it all works perfectly well if you want to do uh, kind of a, a classic, kind of a, a more typical human-based mortals game of World of Darkness, where you you have a bunch of characters who are somehow accessed and trapped within this hollow pocket of the Earth's crust, and must confront a strange society that has been cut off for a millennia that exists there, or have to uh, contend with the strange creatures that roam in the caverns and in the darkness. Uh, perhaps. Even in the darkness, there is some form of uh, light that is formed by some bioluminescent fungus or, or by some other means. Uh, these caverns in World of, for World of Darkness then can lead us on to the idea that maybe the Earth is hollow and part of the sundering of Earth was, uh, was by the, uh, the Exarchs and actually Atlantis or Shambhala or whatever name you want for this, this uh, place actually does exist inside a hollow earth. Maybe the hollow earth is actually where the, uh, the supernal realms are and where the exarchs actually do exist. Uh, maybe that is how reality is laid across them. Hollow earth obviously fits into the ideas of uh, Geister Sinitas with the, um, the idea of how you access the underworld and the Avernian gates that exist in low places. So the hollow earth is really just 
people that have somehow fallen into an Avernian gate and have explored the uh, the upper depths of the underworld. Perhaps maybe even finding Avernian gates that lead to some of the lower depths of the domains where the, the Caraboy uh, rule over their uh, undead societies. Uh, which would make sense when you consider that people have found strange societies that are warning of war and warning of the use of, uh, of atomic weaponry. Uh, in the case of Werewolf, again, the Hollow Earth could be a case of where people have actually just accessed umbral realms or partial portions of the Hissel and uh, have come into contact with strange spiritual entities. So guys, any other ideas to how to make use of the Hollow Earth idea, uh, theory, or maybe how to make use of the crazier, I'm actually going to say crazier Flat Earth theory, because compared to Hollow Earth, Flat Earth is just mental. Yeah, well, <clears throat> it's actually kind of interesting. The way that uh, we know that the uh, portions of the core are actually uh, fluid, they're actually uh, uh, molten uh, metals down there, yes. is because shear waves from earthquakes don't travel through that, they don't pass through. Uh, so we find out on the other side, like, hey, we're missing some of the uh, earthquake waves. So that could be true that it's it's liquid, uh, but what if it was just air? What if it was just an open space? And that's where actually some of the you know Hollow Earth people try to make their uh, uh, their arguments that that it actually does exist, uh, which is kind of garbage because you can back calculate gravities and figure out that like, hey, there should be something there. It should be like billions of tons of metal. But anyway. Uh, there's definitely something down there, and you can uh, try to uh, look at some different World of Darkness games to to place something there. Uh, one idea was that maybe it's not, you know, molten metal, but it's actually uh, instead of instead of the primordial dream of Beast, the primordial being this other dimension, you can include uh, and say that Beast layers actually exist uh, within the center of the Earth. So when uh, characters are traveling there, they actually go to this other area. And Chris, as we were discussing mm-hmm. uh, before the show, what if you left their lair and started exploring this strange landscape down there as well? Uh, it could be pretty interesting. And I don't know, just like grab some ideas from the Dungeons and Dragons Underdark or something uh, to try to populate it. I think also you could use the the idea of a Hollow Earth. It'd be interesting if it was actually the realm in which the uh, the God Machine actually exists. It's actually that is its home. Uh, and the inside of the earth was kind of this strange uh, I'm going to go with imagine you've got the earth is actually then a Dyson sphere and at the centre of the Dyson sphere is a further sphere which is this kind of strange Unicron, Cybertronian god machine which you know is making use of the the earth it's constructed around itself to uh to do its to do its bidding and to uh, to generate what it requires, which actually you could then take as inspiration from that. That makes it actually fairly similar to the Transformers uh, mythos they have uh, for that Cybertron is actually the Cybertronian god Primus who is hiding from Unicron. So then you can build on the idea: well, why is the God Machine at the heart of the Earth, and what is it hiding from? Indeed, indeed, that's pretty neat. Uh, another idea, going back to Vampire the Masquerade, is that um, one of the antediluvians we know uh, is Anoya, the uh, the Gangrel antediluvian, and they have Earth melded with the planets. They are actually part of Gaia. So when you're adventuring into these tunnels at the center of the Earth, 
Are you perhaps going through her arteries? Are different portions of her body? And what kind of weird uh, flesh earth melds would you find down there? Pretty strange stuff. Of course, don't let your players know that. Just have them encounter some really crazy weird things. Any of so, what else we got? Hmm. Uh, the Hollow Earth is actually uh, mentioned in at least uh, one of the Son of Ether books for Mage as a uh, an umbral realm that they can visit. Oh, okay, that's pretty neat. Um, uh, do you remember any like fun facts about it, or there is it populated by reptoids or um, something like it's, that? It's basically Land of the Lost. Yeah, there are uh, di- there are okay. of course dinosaurs. Um, there are Nazis to fight. There are um, they don't call them slea stacks, but yeah, they're lizard people down there. So yeah, it's a, a fun and exciting place. And of course, according to Mage Cosmology, until it was proven otherwise, and uh, people decided that it, that was real. Uh, the Earth used to be flat. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Because uh, that's the how it works in age. <laughs> yeah, uh, the precursors to the voyage. By the way, side note: like everyone else in the world that wasn't in Europe knew that the world was round. I mean, there was a plenty of research and you know classical mathematics that proved that it was it was round and circular. Yeah, um, ancient Egyptians obviously started believing it was flat, but it didn't take them long to work out it wasn't. And even Europe knew yeah. that. They just kind of forgot it. Thanks, Dark Ages. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's one of those things that needs to be changed in Mage, actually. But anyway, so yeah, precursors to the Void Engineers used to sail ships off the uh, side of the Flat Earth to go exploring in space. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, so other things that could be in the, uh, the Hollow Earth or other things we can do with the Hollow Earth. Um, you've already mentioned Vampire, and I really like your idea of... Uh, of uh, uh, what's her name, Anoya, having uh, embraced Gaia, which uh, would really probably tick off the what you call the Garu. Um, so we can we can go a little little crossover fun and excitement there. Um, the Black Spiral Dancers, their uh, their hives are generally dug into the the earth, if I'm remembering correctly. Matt, please correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, there. you are. Yep. So, clearly, if anybody, if any tribe is going to have access to the Hollow Earth, it's going to be the horrible, horrible Black Spiral Dancers. So, um, going along the whole Whoa. corrupted guy is corrupted and uh, the Black Spiral Dancers are living in her festering sores, you could have a group of uh, Guru who have to venture into the Hollow Earth and uh, rip the Black Spiral Dancers out from within. Now tell me how I'm wrong, Matt. Well, no, it's like you're saying, like, the Black Spiral Dancers do live in the hives and pits underground. They've got, like, you know, the mysterious underground tunnels that dip into the Umbra once they get too far. But there is also an umbral realm that's basically just nothing but dinosaurs and griffins and other mythological creatures who are long thought dead. No Nazis, though, because it's more the red... That's where the red talons like to hang out, so... No Nazis because the, um... Not the silver fangs. What are they? No, stop it. Not the get offenders. <laughs> the get offenders would be jealous. <laughs> no, the get offenders would be jealous that there aren't any Nazis there for them to kill because they hate the Nazis too. Mm-hmm. This week. I think no, this edition. After uh, after first edition, they stopped that. Thank God. I think the thing with um going to look at the flat earth is I think. The thing that is more interesting 
for that in World of Darkness is it's just a very good real-world example of how a cult of of so it's just a cult of misinformation. It's a cult of people. It's essentially a cult of people incapable of dealing with the fact that they are unable to understand where they fit in the world and so have to make use of some cultish nonsense to allow them to have some form of elitist viewpoint within the world which only they hold and a few others. Um, this is obviously a problem with how science is as science progresses to become an expert in a particular field requires knowing a lot, uh, knowing a lot about very lit, about not very little, but knowing about a very specific thing. And in a very global world that we live in, um, it's very different to say in even pre-Victorian times. Yeah, if you were in a village, you could be the you were the expert, say blacksmith. You were the expert, say baker or or. Um, wise person that did healing you know you were within a small community everyone could be an expert near enough on a particular thing and know know that and people will defer to you whereas now you don't have that because the experts all, all that expertise is globally kind of funneled toward it's in the hands of of really relatively a few people and so it's it's interesting how how that works then and you can understand why people want to believe in a flat earth or want to believe in I can't think of another ridiculous oh, uh, chemtrails we've covered that one previously yeah I don't know I, I really don't know how you could possibly use flat earth conspiracies in world of darkness other than you use it as some sort of cult to be manipulated by some supernatural power just because they think it's a bunch of stupid people they can use to their own whims. Well, or like as a mage trying to create a large enough group of people who believe what he thinks so he can overcome consensus. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Uh, anything else, or should we head to closing remarks? Uh, I think that's it. Let's... So, I, 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 have, I have one other thing to, thing to say about the All flat right. earth. Okay. <laughs> Alright, let's, let's hear it. Where do fish go if they swim off the edge of the flat Earth? Space fish, dude. Trouter space. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Bryce? Oh, Chig, we've missed you. No, we've no, you, I, good, I sir. really did not miss you. Uh, <laughs> you I begin to remember why I'm glad you left. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, all right, good. Um, so that was a good episode guys uh my internet didn't cut out so that's that's good um yeah everyone's here chig's here that's oh, great that's good so if you listeners want to get in contact with us you can email us at darker days radio at gmail.com go to our facebook page facebook.com slash darker days radio or go on our g plus and hang out it's a good time over there we haven't posted in a while we should probably do something well i guess we'll post this new episode when it's out woo and uh, anything else, guys? No. I don't think there's anything interesting to say beyond that. Uh, we've got a Twitter, obviously. Um, we've got some, hopefully we've got some interesting shows yeah, being lined up that we're trying to organize. So when we can confirm some of that, we'll get, um, we shall get people to send us questions. 
because those are always good. absolutely yep getting a couple of interviews lined mm. up all right everyone that's it for this episode of Darker Days Radio. Glad everyone's back after that uh, bit of a hiatus, and uh, pretty exciting to hear about all the new World of Darkness stuff going on. So, good night. Ta-ta. See you later. Someone want to get that telephone? I appear to be getting a phone call. Give me a moment. <laughs> That's fine. <clears throat> oh, Chig's on mute. Okay, we can keep oh, talking. Oh, Chig's on mute. Okay, right. So, yeah. um, what did we get up to? So, We're um, talking about Henga Yokai and how okay, they're yeah. super Sorry about that. questionable. Uh, they wanted no, to fine. call to make sure that my do not disturb sign meant I didn't want to be disturbed. <laughs>